Welcome to Find Myself Free, the podcast. I'm Ellie Young, alcohol-free life coach, mom, and athlete. I'm dedicated to helping others change their relationship to alcohol by sharing my journey of transformation. Fascinated by my own capacity for change after decades of gray area drinking, I'm passionate about sharing what I've learned from neuroscience and positive psychology to help you break free from the drinking cycle and unlock your true potential. Hear my personal stories of triumph and struggle as I navigate raising two boys, finding myself after 40, building a business, and doing it all alcohol-free. From women's health and cycle syncing to fasting and biohacking, this podcast is your roadmap to a healthier, purpose-filled life that starts with changing your relationship to alcohol. It's time to embrace change, find balance, and create the life you were meant for. Welcome to Find Myself Free. Hi, if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I am so glad you're here. And before we get to the show, I wanted to personally invite you into my Brave course. This is for health ambitious women. You're doing it all, but you're still rewarding yourself with booze. I get it. That was me too. But now you're ready to buck the status quo by cutting alcohol because something is telling you you were meant for more. And you want to balance your hormones and heal years of cellular damage, right? Don't we all? So check it out at findmyselffree.com. There's two Fs in there, and I hope to see you in the Brave course. Oh, and bonus, you get a free one-on-one coaching call with me inside the course as a chance to go deeper on whatever has you stuck, because it's never just about the alcohol, is it? I hope to see you there. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Find Myself Free. Today's podcast is all about the similarities between fasting and cutting alcohol. So I've been wanting to do this podcast for a long time because I have been following a fasting program that I started in May um, after I read a book called Fast Like a Girl by Dr. Mindy Pels. And it always, um, I usually want to do this podcast right after I've done a 36 hour fast, because not only am I like completely running on ketones and I'm thinking really, really clearly. And I have all this like thought, uh, clarity around just how similar the thought work that you can apply to cutting alcohol can also be applied to the, the mental challenges of doing a really long fast like that. So I'm going to get into it now. Um, And I want you to know that if fasting is something that you're interested in as kind of a biohacking tool to, and biohacking, don't let that word intimidate you. It sounds really complicated, but really it's just a way of utilizing little practices that don't have to be that hard or complex to kind of amplify your body's own ability to kind of heal itself and regenerate um, and heal. Yeah. So fasting is one of those tools. and um, the way that it's so similar to alcohol is just in that the, the way it challenges you mentally. So there is the physical addiction of alcohol and the physical addiction of food. And then there are the mental addictions, the, the way we use it as a coping, coping mechanism. And so that's where it kind of becomes so similar. So the, um, oh, for those of you watching on YouTube, that is my tattoo. It looks kind of like a mess right now because it has this um, 
what do they call it? Second skin bandage over it. It's like this clear plastic bandage that has trapped the healing kind of the blood that came out. But you can kind of see it there when I move it out. These are the phases of the moon. And yes, I am so serious about cycle syncing and following the natural rhythm of my body that I have now tattooed the moon cycles um, on my arm. Yes, that was my third year of sobriety tattoo. Um, I've gotten a new t- a tattoo every year. Here's the first one. Actually, no, this is the second one. The first one was my family's uh, initials, kind of like a compass on my arm. The second one was an unalome. You can look up the meaning of an unalome. It's kind of like the trials and tribulations of life. And then I have a lotus flower to, sig- to signify rebirth. Um, and then now I have my moon phases. So, okay, sorry, I, I kind of got off track there, but wanted to get into, okay, so when we are fasting, we are essentially denying ourselves food, right? It feels like you're starving yourself. This is very, very similar to when you first try and give up alcohol and you're like, oh my gosh, I feel so deprived. I'm depriving myself of all this joy, all this relaxation. It feels like a punishment, right? You're just like, oh, I have to take a break from alcohol. This is going to be so hard. Um, And that's how it feels at first until you shift your mindset into, whoa, am I really denying myself something amazing or am I moving towards something that's so much better for myself? Am I actually, you know, healing my body and nourishing my body by abstaining from alcohol? And how much more do I have to gain when I continue down this pathway of not drinking? So it's shifting the focus in in early sobriety from depriving yourself to being more empowered by your choice and to really paint this picture of all these incredible benefits that you are in fact getting by by abstaining from alcohol and really allowing yourself to focus on those things instead of focusing on what you're trying to cut out or give up. Um, And this mindset shift can be really, really powerful because once your body does actually start benefiting from abstaining from the alcohol and you do start feeling really, really good and you do start enjoying yourself again once your pleasure circuits have reset and you do start connecting with people and being able to socialize and you find out how much bigger and wider the world is when you don't have the kind of limitations that alcohol places on your body um, and, and your your physical, like you're like, I'm not going to go somewhere because I can't drive because I'm too drunk. You know, <clears throat> alcohol limits you in so many ways. And once again, you've had enough time alcohol free, you start to realize how much bigger your world can be. Um, and so that shift in the focus of depriving of what you can't have is and to focusing on what you're gaining is also incredibly, incredibly beneficial when you are getting into fasting. So when you approach fasting, you're like, okay, I can't eat. I'm going to try and not eat for X amount of hours. So you're watching the clock and you're really focusing on like, oh, my tummy is grumbling. I have a headache. I have low energy. I don't feel good. And you really have to shift that focus into, okay, what am I actually gaining. I'm not starving myself. I am actually gaining restorative healing. I'm resetting my gut. I am releasing um, human growth hormone to help heal my body. If you go long enough, 17 plus hours, you enter autophagy, which is the kind of the clean out and turnover of 
all the damaged cells in your body, the cancer-causing cells. So if you can shift your focus, again, from what, you, what you're resisting, the food, and instead focus on all this healing benefit, you start, it, it, it starts to change the meaning of the discomfort. And this is kind of the second kind of layer that is so similar to alcohol. So first we want to work on shifting our, our focus from being deprived to being empowered. And then the next one is we're going to change the meaning of the discomfort from, okay, this discomfort, it feels like starving myself. And it, you know, there's symptoms. If you have low blood sugar, it can feel like, you know, low energy, you can feel kind of lightheaded and dizzy and um, headaches and such. But when you tell yourself this, this discomfort will pass, it is moment uh, temporary. And instead you go, this is my microbiome resetting. This is my body healing. This is a regenerative process that is so, so, so incredibly good, good for me. It really allows you to stay in that discomfort a little bit longer. So we're changing the meaning of the discomfort. And again, similarly with alcohol, when you are experiencing cravings for alcohol, when your brain is triggered to drink and it so is craving that reward, that dopamine reward of the alcohol and you're denying it, it can feel really uncomfortable. It can feel awkward. You can feel anxious. You can feel agitated and grumpy and you're just like, I want to get out of here. I don't even want to be here. Instead of, again, this is this is a skill. We learn it, like leaning into that discomfort and going, what do I really think alcohol is going to do for me right now? Like, I think it's going to change my state from one of like agitation and frustration or stress, anxiety, whatever it is. And I think the alcohol is going to make it better. Is that really, really true? And so you change the meaning of your discomfort and you say, okay, this is a craving for alcohol, but I know alcohol is not going to deliver what I think it's going to deliver. It's, it, or if it does, it, it'll only be temporary and it's going to come with all these other nasty side effects, right, that aren't good for me. And so you instead say, what else can I do? So similarly, similarly, I can't say that word, shifting in when, when you were fasting and you're like, oh, my God, I really need to eat. I'm hungry. You, you, you take that discomfort and you say, what can I do instead? If I can't eat right now, what else can I do? And you open the door for what else is possible. Again, just like alcohol, it's so similar. You're like, if I can't drink, what else can I do? And focus on all these other possibilities of if you're not going to be, so I sound kind of ridiculous because you're not going to eat and you're not going to drink. Okay. We're, nobody's going to have any fun. Like, no, that's not what this is about. This is, this is really fasting is really this incredible healing technique that you can do, especially after you've been alcohol free to like regenerate yourself to essentially rewind the hands of time um, and and start healing your body. Um, so it's incredibly powerful. So I want you to kind of imagine then again. So we're 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 changing the meaning of the discomfort with the food, and we're saying, okay, I am not starving myself. My body is healing. It's regenerating. And this is really, really good for me. And I can, I can do this a little bit longer. Um, and then you say, well, what can I do? If I can't eat, what can I do right now? And guess what? 
you can get a lot of things done when you're not busy eating. Food, for one, takes up time. It takes time to prepare the food. It costs money. You got to, you know, clean the kitchen afterwards and make a mess. So the days when I'm going to be fasting, I actually get so much more stuff done. One, because I'm not cooking and preparing and cleaning up after myself for food-wise. And two, when your brain switches from fat, uh, sugar-burning mode into fat-burning mode and you're burning ketones instead, you have a ton of like energy that is super, super clear. And it fe- it's, it's like you're incredibly effective. You can focus. You can get a lot done. So I have some of my best work days when I'm fasting. I also don't work out as hard. And I, I, I give myself that break of exercise. Um, and so again, it, it frees up more of my day to go do other things, to do projects, to do um, anything, anything other than eat, right? Um, so this is like, it's really, really interesting to me how similarly the thought work around giving up alcohol and switching your brain into deprivation to feeling I am empowered by this choice. I am gaining things by that choice. And then switching your focus from, again, instead of what you're resisting to what you now are, all, what you have the opportunity to go do instead of this one thing that you're depriving yourself of, like one thing I'm not going to do. Instead, say, what can I do? Open the door. It's really, it's really cool. So, and you can get a lot more done. Um, the third way. And this one's really interesting to me too. It's really complicated. And I'm going to share kind of personally on this one is both alcohol and food are rewards for our brain, um, our brains. So, and not only is it like a biochemical reward in the brain because it releases dopamine, um, it's also a mental reward. If you think about when we're little kids and our parents are like, okay, if you eat all your food, then you get the dessert. Or if you're a really good boy, then you get to have the ice cream. You know, I see myself doing this to my kids all the time now where, you know, I reward them with the treat. I reward them with the trip to the ice cream store or whatever it is. You're really, really good. You can have the thing. So from very early on, we are teaching kids that the food, the treat is the reward, right? And then at some point as a girl, when you're growing up, that all switches because you now associate food or treats and things like that with gaining weight. And it's starting younger and younger and younger now. I can't imagine being a young girl right now growing up with social media and, you know, the phones and the picture taking just constantly. Um, I had enough of insecurities growing up and I was a relatively confident kid because I think I, I think I played a lot of sports and I had a fairly healthy body image, but I still didn't love my body. So I would say I was about probably eighth grade when I discovered my body and that I didn't like it. And I was at an eighth grade pool party and I had never had a problem wearing a swimsuit in front of other kids before in front of boys. I had never considered my body um, I had considered my boobs a little bit because I was flat chested and every other girl of my age was starting to blossom and I wasn't. I was also very petite and tiny, but I had thighs. I had strong legs. I've always had strong legs. I was a soccer player, but I had never considered my legs. I had never thought of them other than they're just legs that got me through the day. And a boy at this party 
saw me in my swimsuit and said, whoa, you have big legs. And I was mortified. I don't know why I had never considered my legs before. And at that point, I jumped it back into the pool and I wouldn't come out of the pool because I didn't want anybody to see my legs anymore. And that was like that first insecure moment for me. And then at some point soon after that, I started really making the correlation between food and my body. Like, oh, you don't want to eat that because you don't want to gain weight and you don't want to eat this and you need to eat less. You need to eat less. No matter what, it was always just less, 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 less. And again, I was an athlete, so I was really conflicted with this all the time because I knew I needed to fuel my body. And I definitely still ate a lot as a kid and ate a lot of bad food, but my relationship to it was so messed up. And I definitely went through periods of like, especially in college, when I started like, I think it was probably correlated to alcohol, right? When I had these low moments, a bad breakup with a boyfriend and stuff, where I decided like, I'm going to, I'm going to starve myself. I'm going to not eat. And, but my version of that wasn't, would never even qualify as an eating disorder. Um, and I want to be very, very careful talking about this because I never had what I would call a real eating disorder. And I know a lot of people out there have. And I want anyone who would be approaching fasting, who has had a history of an eating disorder, to talk to a doctor before they do anything like this because it does bring up all of your food baggage, all of your body issue baggage. Because as women, we think that when you're not eating, you are starving yourself. And it triggers any type of version of this that you might have had as an insecure teen. Um, you know, anytime I tried to fast now as an adult, I was like, isn't this just starving myself? And like not eating for this many hours, this is just starving myself. And, and then I had to tell myself, no, this is literally, you're 42. And you're healing your body, you are detoxing your body, and you are restoring yourself. And there was a method to it, a very deliberate method that I follow now, according to my cycle, there's only specific days of the month that I do this type of fasting, days one through 10, and days 16 through 20 of my cycle are ideally the best times to fast based on my hormones, I can be working with my hormones instead of against them. And so it's very, very interesting to me, though, that at some point for women, food becomes the enemy. And very, very close in this same time frame, alcohol enters the picture as a new type of reward. Because I was like, let's say, uh, 15, probably when I was introduced to alcohol. And it quieted my insecurities. It numbed any type of, you know, social anxiety I had and allowed me to kind of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm more, I'm more myself. I can be, I can be more outgoing. I can be this person. I can do all these things. And so while food is exiting as like, don't eat food, eat less, better to be skinny, no matter what, alcohol is now filling in as the new reward, if you will. And, um, you know, I'm only kind of talking about this off the cuff. I've, I've thought about it a lot and I've never really, really shared this, but this is kind of what it was for me. And I also noticed that when I finally cut alcohol out at age 39, right before my 40th birthday, food returned as the way that I would reward myself. Cause I was like, okay, you're already doing this massive thing of cutting out alcohol. 
you're you I'm gonna allow myself the treats. I'm gonna allow myself the carbs and the french fries and the pizza. Like I didn't I didn't overdo it, but I still allowed myself to eat things that I would have never allowed to myself to in the past. Um, because I had a, such a twisted relationship with food and my body and alcohol. Um, it was always coming from a place of like punishment. If I, it's funny, I like some, sometimes I would allow myself the thing. I'm like, you deserve it. You can have the cupcake or ice cream or whatever it was. But then I would immediately feel bad and feel like I needed to punish myself for it. And punish, I mean, like I need now I need to go exercise that off. I now need to eat less the next day or, um, you know, skip a meal or whatever it was. So this relationship with food and my body and dieting or fasting or starving myself is so very, very, very complex. Um, and I believe that fasting now as an adult, according to my cycle, has in fact cured me of that. Um, and, and that's why it, all of this stuff comes to mind when I'm in a long fast, a 36 hour fast, because I'm just like, wow, isn't that interesting? I had so many mental cravings for food, not because my body actually needed the food because I was not uncomfortable. I was not experiencing low blood sugar because I had effectively switched into fat burning mode and my body was burning ketones, but I was craving food for some other reason. I was annoyed. I was agitated with my kids. Um, I was bored. A lot of times you just reach for food when you're bored. Um, or like I would reward myself. A lot of times after I film a podcast, it feels like a big like, whoo, I just did that thing. I worked really hard. I put put all this time and energy into this thing. Afterwards, I would my brain is like, I want to eat. It's like I wanted to reward myself for doing that type of hard work. And it was creating a craving for dopamine, for food, sugar, if you will, you know? Um, so I just find this really, really, really fascinating that any sort of way that I wanted to reward myself, whether it was with food or with alcohol, you can kind of step back and go, wow, is, is that really how I should reward myself, right? Is alcohol ever really a reward? No, absolutely not. It's wrecking so much havoc on your system. It's giving you a 20 minute bait and switch. It's like, we're going to let you feel good for 20 minutes and then we're going to go cause a shit storm in your body. Great. Food similarly is like that sugar or that processed food or that like, you know, carbs and treats, greasy French fries, whatever. It does the same thing. It gives you this crazy high boost. You think it's a reward and then it makes you feel like shit and you have bad indigestion and you can't sleep and it's, you know, makes you feel sick and it bloats you and all wrecks your gut, all these things. So we have to really start to kind of retrain our brain to be like, is food really a reward? And so this year I have really tried to shift away from the idea of even dieting. I don't even like that word because to me that word means depriving myself. So again, when I go back to the alcohol, I'm always switching people from thinking about you're not depriving yourself, you are empowering yourself and you are gaining all these things. So the same thing with dieting. I'm no longer dieting, I am nourishing. I am nourishing my brain, I am nourishing my body, I am paying attention to my cycle all month long and giving my body what it needs. I'm treating food as medicine. I'm no longer treating it as a reward or something that I need to punish myself over, right? 
So I, I found um, this to be incredibly um, eye-opening. Going through these longer periods of fasting after I've been alcohol-free for a number of years and just saying, wow, the similarities here on the mental thoughts that come up about, when, especially when I'm trying to talk myself into breaking a fast, I'm like, okay, you've gone long enough. Do you really need to keep going longer, Ellie? You know, this is stupid. You're just starving yourself. Anytime I get into that mode and I have to say, okay, I know this is healing for me. I know this is really good. Um, just like alcohol tries to creep back in and talk you into drinking and tries to say, you don't need to do this. You deserve the drink. Come on. Just, it's not that big a deal. You need to have the drink. So just like paying attention to that is, is, was so eye opening to me, just how desperate our brains are to get that dopamine reward. And once you recognize that, like once you no longer are giving your brain the dopamine reward through alcohol, and then through bad food, you start to learn all these other ways that you can reward yourself in healthy ways. And you can start to stack your dopamine incrementally with all sorts of things like exercise to sunlight, to cold water therapy, to um, movement, to connection with friends, to music, to doing anything that stimulates all five of your senses, you try and stack it on all those cozy clothes, good smells, beautiful sights. One of my favorite, favorite pieces of this whole alcohol-free life is the awe factor, A-W-E. And that is something I was completely overwhelmed with in early sobriety. You know, this kind of rose-colored glasses effect, this um, moment when your pleasure circuits reset. And when I say that, I mean that like, oh, you used to be blowing your pleasure circuit out with all of these artificial boosts with alcohol. And so your brain becomes desensitized to it. And so things that would normally give you a little blip of dopamine, like holding your child's hand or a snuggle with the dog or a beautiful sunset, doesn't even register anymore because your brain is like, oh, we're, we're only used to these, these big, big blasts of alcohol. Um, and so the brain actually pulls you lower. It proactively keeps you in a low state in anticipation of this giant dopamine boost. So, you know, imagine the brain is kind of like a seesaw. And if you were regularly pushing on one side of the seesaw with alcohol, alcohol, alcohol to boost you up, the brain is going to react trying to create homeostasis and it's going to proactively push on the other side, the pain side, the depressive side, the side that shoots out stress hormones to try and equalize you. And it will actually be proactive and keep you in a low state in anticipation of that artificial dopamine boost. So when that resets in early sobriety, and it can take, it's a different times for most people, but I would say two weeks alcohol free for some people is, is a good gauge of when they start to like little things start to feel good again. And then it's almost overwhelming. Just you'll be like walking outside and you'll see the clouds and you'll just be like, that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And I seek this out now, this awe, this, and it gives me the biggest high now, this, these magical moments. And they're usually out in nature and they're usually because I'm seeing some great expanse. And so now I crave that. I seek that every morning I wake up and I go out my door and I turn the corner and I cannot wait 
to see the sunrise. I cannot wait to see what the day is going to bring me in the form of like a sunrise and the clouds and the way it's just going to, the baby glow is going to come up and start warming me from a bajillion miles away. Like there is something incredibly powerful about the sunrise and the magic of that moment. Um, And so that's the type of things that you can start to reward yourself with. The other things that I'm like obsessed with now in my alcohol-free life Um, And again, I just celebrated my three years. So I get really reflective around this time of year because I just, it's, it never gets old just how far I've come. Um, The way I go to bed now is a complete and beautiful treat. I, I do, you know, it's not extensive, like self-care ritual, like of stuff, but I have a little ritual I do before bed that helps me wind down the way you would wind down a baby, the way, you know, I, I love this word nourish, like I said, so I nourish myself before bed. I take care of myself the way you would a baby. I, you know, I keep the lights low. I listen to soft music. I have a good candle going and I take I I gently wind myself down. And when I get into bed, it feels like the best treat. And my mornings are nothing short of spectacular as well. The way I wake up, the way I make myself a cup of tea and I drink lemon water and I journal and I have this moment to myself, it feels so rewarding. And that sounds silly to somebody who's like hungover right now every morning. And you're like, that sounds awful. You're, you know, you know, screw you. You're an asshole like that. You could even like enjoy your morning like that. And I'm, and I just want to tell you like, it's completely possible, but I was like you, I used to wake up early, not feeling. I, I woke up early, motivated by shame, motivated by anxiety to course correct everything that I had done the night before. I woke up kind of in a panic every day being like, well, what happens if you don't do all these things today? Then then, then you become that person. But as long as I could punish myself with enough, enough exercise and supplements and caffeine and overachieving as a mom, I thought I didn't have to identify as a person who drank too much, right? Because I was like, I'm still able to do all these things. And that's where my life has completely changed now, is where now I do all those things motivated from wanting to feel good and and loving my life and feeling grateful for my body and grateful for my brain and taking care of myself. And those things now just start to stack up incrementally, incrementally, incrementally. And the fasting is a big piece of that now because it allows me to feel like I am truly regenerating and healing and nourishing myself appropriately um, throughout the month. So I feel like I was a little bit all over the place today, but it's a topic I really um, am passionate about. Um, As you can see, I tattooed the moon cycles on my arm because fasting should only be done according to your cycle. You don't want to be fasting when your hormones are at a high point. To keep it really simple, you want to only fast on days 1 through 10 and days 16 through 20 when your hormones are at their lowest and they're just starting to climb. You do not want to be fasting on days 11 through 14 or when you're ovulating because that's when all of your hormones are at their highest point peaking and you don't want to be fasting the eight days before your period because that's in particular when progesterone should be at his, her highest. I do not think progesterone's a boy. It's a girl, her. Um, and progesterone needs carbohydrate. It needs glucose. 
in order to function properly in your body. So you do not want to be eating low carb at this time. You don't want to be doing keto. You want to be feeding yourself um, with complex carbohydrates like sweet potatoes, black beans, quinoa, all the squashes. Um, So that's why if you follow me on Instagram and you see me, I'll, I'll usually call out what I'm eating and what phase of my cycle I'm in. And um, it might sound complicated, but generally in days one through 10, when you can be fasting, I eat keto. Anytime you can be fasting, you can also be eating low carbohydrate. That is my washer in the background being very loud. I don't think I can edit that out. Anyways, I'm a mom. I'm always doing laundry. That's how it is. My office is in my laundry room. This is all just a facade. This all over here is laundry. Yes. Um, This is my life. So days one through 10, fasting, you can eat keto and low carbohydrate. Days 11 through 15, you want to be allowing yourself complex carbohydrates as progesterone is, you're getting a little blip of progesterone and your estrogen is high. You want to also be eating lots of cruciferous vegetables when your estrogen is high because it is going to help you detox the estrogen out of your system, which is necessary so that you don't get estrogen dominance, which creates all those bad PMS symptoms you do not want. Day 16 through 20 is kind of another power phase where you can do low carbohydrate, keto, or fasting. And then days 20 through 28 or whenever you bleed, you want to be in nourishing mode and you want to be giving yourself lots of complex carbohydrates and um, taking care of yourself the way you would a little baby. Love on yourself. Nurture yourself. Um, All of this information I get from Dr. Mindy Pell's fast like a girl. She has an incredible platform um, to educate you on all of this stuff. And I have been living it and loving it. And um, my health has completely improved from doing this. But I don't recommend doing it unless you are alcohol free. So if you want to get alcohol free, if you are a health ambitious mom, and you're like, I want to balance my hormones. I want to sleep like a champion. I want to show up in my life and love myself and show up as the best best version of myself for my family, for my friends, for my work. You got to get alcohol out of the picture first. And I can help you. I have put together an awesome course called the Brave Course. And it is filled with the lessons that are the most important to lay a foundation for changing your relationship to alcohol. All right. You can do this course on your own time. It's about seven different modules of content, over 20 different lessons that you can do on your own time. They're little bite-sized videos so that you can listen. You can put it on. You don't even have to watch. You can just listen while you're in the car. You can listen while you walk the dog, fold laundry, while you're out and about running your errands. This is how I've learned everything in my three-year trajectory is listening to podcasts on tape. I did a six-month certification program. And all of the content I learned while a little AirPod was in my ear. Um, So this is um, how I learned and how I want to deliver it to you as well. And the best part about the Brave program, though, is that you're going to get a one-on-one coaching call with me. So you get to schedule it at any time while you're doing the Brave. And we can work together and unlock whatever has you stuck. We can go deeper because it's never just about cutting the alcohol, is it? It's about a bigger goal. It's about you wanting something more that's just on the other side in this alcohol-free life. It's never about the alcohol. It's about all the reasons you are drinking. It's about the dissatisfaction in your life, the frustration, 
It's about wanting more. And you've been quieting that and numbing that for a really, really long time. And I'm here to help you. And I want to pay this gift forward. Um, That is what's most important to me. That's what motivates me daily is to just give someone else a chance at discovering this life for themselves because it is hands down the best thing I have ever done for my life and that of my families. So check out the Brave program online, findmyselffree.com and reach out to set up a call with me. All right. Thank you so much for being here as always. Um, I appreciate your support. If you like this podcast, please send it to a friend and leave a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. You never know who needs to hear this information. Um, So be that for somebody. All right. Don't be the person that's constantly saying, hey, let's go get a drink. Why don't you say, hey, let's go for a walk and talk, you know? Be that for somebody. All right. Till next time. You got this. Hey, team. You've just listened to an episode of Find Myself Free. And if some part of this left you wanting more, if your curiosity has been piqued and your intuition is telling you, yes, I'm ready for more, then check out the Brave course at findmyselffree.com. I designed this course with the exact lessons that led to my transformation. Inside the Brave course, I will walk you through the framework for changing your subconscious beliefs around alcohol, the beliefs that keep you craving it and feel like you're missing out if you don't drink. And I teach you how to adopt the mindset of a wellness seeker, not a problem drinker who has to change. I will help you get clear on what you want for your future self that is thriving alcohol-free. This is the foundation to change your relationship to alcohol and completely level up your health. I hope you join, join me in the Brave Course. Mm-hmm.